on this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we recap the Terps' three-game weekend sweep against the Maine Black Bears, sit down with Terps' Saturday starter Zach Thompson, and preview the upcoming midweek game against VCU and the road trip to Louisiana to take on the Ragin' Cajuns this weekend. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Here's your host, Justin Galanti. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Network podcast and it's a good week for the Terps. They sweep Maine three straight games, two of them on Friday and one on Sunday. As you heard, Justin Glancy here with Connor Newcomb as usual. Connor, great weekend for the Terps. They get back over 500 and now it's a win streak four in a row and a 3-0 start at home for the Terps, a place where, you know, they struggled last year. Yeah, almost a perfect weekend for Maryland. Maybe the only hiccup the entire weekend was letting Maine get it back into that Sunday game, as we'll talk about. But the Terps got the sweep. That's what they were looking for. That's what they got. And now you're on a four-game winning streak since they won that Sunday game at Coastal a couple weekends back. And all three starting pitchers pitched very well. The pitching overall was solid. Terps got some timely hitting from a couple of different bats in the lineup, and I think just an overall great first home weekend for Maryland, it went a little differently than that first home weekend did last year when the Terps came back from Tennessee. This time, they really held down the fort at the Bob. So there was a preemptive move to a doubleheader on Friday because there was supposed to be rain in the forecast on Saturday or Sunday. So these teams just wanted to give themselves some leeway. So two games on Friday. The first one, Hunter Parsons was 2018 Hunter Parsons and even better. He went eight scoreless. Three hits, just one walk, and five strikeouts. He was absolutely outstanding. Only threw 99 pitches in the eight in the eight innings he threw. So this was exactly what Maryland needed to start the weekend, and it's exactly what the Terps will need all season out of Hunter, who looked like a true, true ace. Yeah, he was fantastic on Friday, as you said, the eight scoreless. And just a lot of ground balls is what makes him so good with that sinking fastball. He used it a lot. And again, the best part of Hunter's start, I mean, obviously was holding the main offense down, but in the first game of a doubleheader, he gives you eight scoreless innings. All the Terps had to use was John Murphy for one inning in the ninth of that game. Then they had the entire plethora of guys available, not only in game two, but what helped out was to have them again available on Sunday and that kind of wild game three. That was huge from Parsons to get eight innings. I didn't even think he'd maybe take that big of a step. The week one start, five innings, Gave up some runs, you know, was a little bit shaky, but overall solid in that one. Maybe thought he'd get up to six, maybe seven, but he just shot right for what he's looking for every start. Eight scoreless innings, that's some of the best Hunter Parsons you'll see. And the five strikeouts, just one walk. Sometimes he doesn't really rack up the strikeouts, but it was a very, very good start for Parsons. Yeah, he was hitting every spot. He got out of a big jam in the eighth inning. It was really the only time that Maine was able to get a couple base runners against him. So Hunter was great. He gets his first win of the season offensively Randy Bednar got things going in the first inning with a home with a solo home run his first of the year Taylor Wright had an RBI single in the third inning he had two hits on the day and then Maryland got a run in the fourth on a sack fly and another run in the fifth on a throwing error so good day for the Terps offensively they had productive at bats they moved runners we saw that with sort of the final three runs that scored and Randy Bednar showed the power with the home run 
over the big wall in center field in the first inning. Yeah, Randy Bednar was so, so good all weekend, but especially that power he showed with that homer over the batter's eye. I mean, that ball was gone immediately off the bat in that game on Friday, and all weekend Randy showed that he's just gotten so, so much better between last season and this season. I think he's going to stick right there in that number two spot. It seems like Caleb Walls is a guy who can get on base a lot, and then if he can get on in front of Bednar, Bednar's got a lot of power. I think he sits perfectly right in that two spot for the Terrapins. Then in the second game on Friday, the Terps got another great start, this time from Zach Thompson, who we will talk to later in this podcast. But after a little bit of a shaky outing against a a really good Coastal Carolina team last weekend, it was a bounce back for Zach Thompson this weekend. Six and two-thirds, two runs in the key, no walks, and nine strikeouts. So between Parsons and Thompson on Friday, the two Maryland starters, 14 strikeouts and one walk. That's awesome. Yeah, he looked like almost a completely different pitcher, did Thompson, from last Saturday to this Saturday, from that coastal start to the start against Maine, well, I guess in game two Friday of this weekend. But he was just so, so good. And the big difference, we talked about it last week when he was pitching against Coastal. You know, he's not a guy that's going to overpower you with the fastball. It's more of a fastball with a lot of movement in the mid-80s. And he wasn't getting ahead of hitters, not a lot of first-pitch strikes against Coastal, and that means he has to throw more get-me-over pitches, which really hurts him. He got ahead of seemingly almost every hitter against Maine on Friday night. That allowed him to go to his off-speed pitches, have them dart out of the zone, and that allowed him to get a lot more strikeouts, which is why he ended up with the 9Ks. And the no walks, obviously, because he was getting ahead of guys and getting some weak contact in that game. He was very, very good. And obviously the Terps are going to see some offenses a lot better than Maine's going down the stretch. But if he can throw first pitch strikes, he's going to be able to compete much, much better against better teams down the road. Then out of the bullpen that day, Terps got two-thirds of an inning from Elliott Zollner, two-thirds of an inning from Sean Fisher. And then Nick Turnbull got the save going an inning scoreless with a strikeout. And I think Turnbull is proving very quickly in this season that along with John Murphy, he can be a closing option. And You know, you don't always have to have one closer, and it seems like Maryland might have two this year. Yeah, that's going to be big for the Terps. And the Terps seemingly had two last year, but John Murphy was having kind of a down season. I mean, Kevin Bionic last season was clearly the Terps' best reliever, but I don't know if he ever really took the role of quote-unquote closer last year. But now John Murphy seems to have all of his stuff back this season. Then you have Turnbull, who has that closer stuff with that sinker that is down in the low 90s. And He can really sink that ball down and into righties, down and away to lefties. And I think he's got some very, very good stuff where, you know, and each of them are guys who can go more than one inning too. So it really helps the Terps. If they get in some tight games, especially late in the season when you're shortening up the game and you need wins, you could look on a day when they're rested and get four innings from Turnbull and Murphy. That makes this team very dangerous. And if the offense gives them an early lead, they've got some weapons in the back end. Offensively for the Terps on this day, Maxwell Costas, Started a great weekend with a two-run double in the first inning. Randy Bednar scored the next run in the third inning when he stole third and the catcher from Maine threw it into left field, allowing him to score. Chris Allen had an RBI single. Mike Panero had an RBI single. So a couple different guys contributing on this day for the Terps. And also going back to the Bednar steal of third, this sort of reminded us of the Terps from two years ago who were taking bases, especially third, early and often against Maine this weekend. Yeah, they they really stole on this Maine defense, whether it was Turin back there in the last two games or the catcher Cody Pasek who was back there in game one. The Terps saw that one of Maine's weaknesses was definitely uh, defensively behind the plate, and they just ran all weekend 
on the Black Bears and got some key stolen bases, as you said. The Bednar one created a run on its own. Some other stolen bases eventually created runs, created more pressure on the pitchers, getting guys from first to second into scoring position. The Terps ran very well, and rarely did they get thrown out this weekend. They they made some smart decisions on the base pass as well. No doubt. So they win that game 5-3, then Saturday's an off day. And then Sunday, the Terps beat Maine 9-6, got off to a great start. They were up 6 nothing after two innings. And before we talk about the offense and what happened after that, let's talk about the start that Maryland got from Trevor Labonte in his first career start. Five innings of three hit ball, one run, three strikeouts. He was solid. Yeah, it had to be a special start for Labonte, obviously, on Sunday. Pitching against the, the school he almost went to besides Maryland. It was down to Maine and Maryland. For Labonte, obviously a York, Maine native, and he knew a lot of those guys, played against a lot of those guys, played with some of those guys on that Black Bears team, and it was obviously special for him to get his first collegiate start against Maine, but not only that, he put up a very good start, and some of the things he looked shaky at doing last week against VCU when he came out of the pen, you know, was getting behind hitters. He got ahead of a lot more hitters on Sunday, five innings, just the one run as you talked about, and he was very, very good, and you didn't really expect him to go more than five. I think Going into it, you were thinking, oh, maybe four innings from Labonte. You got the whole bullpen, you know, whatever he can give you. Five was great from him. Unfortunately, a couple guys early out of the Terps bullpen did not have their best appearances, so Maryland had to go to a lot of pitchers. Luckily, they had a lot of available pitchers, but Labonte really started the day strong on the mound. He did, and how did Maryland get off to that 6 nothing start? Where, well, it was a couple of those guys that we talked about contributing in the first two games doing it again. Maxwell Costas, two-run double in the first inning. Mike Panero hits his first career home run, a three-run blast down the right field line. Also in the first inning, makes it 5 nothing. Randy Bednar, homers in the second inning, second homer of the weekend, makes it 6 nothing. And you know, Connor, um, you know, Maryland gets out to that 6 nothing lead. And the way this team has performed offensively early in games has been really, really solid to start the year. The Terps have scored in the first inning of five of the six games to start the season. Yeah, and that's, that's big time. And especially, you know, last weekend they, they loaded the bases in the first inning of that Campbell game. They're getting on these pitchers quickly, and that's huge because there's a lot of pitchers across all levels of baseball where their highest ERA comes in the first inning. A lot of guys, it takes them an inning or two to get settled, get loose, and really get on a roll. And the Terps are taking advantage of that, getting some runs early in these games and then it helps out the starting pitchers if your starter can put up a zero in that first inning and then the next time they come to the mound they've already got a lead or vice versa on the road if they come to the mound for the first time and already have a lead it just gives a lot more confidence and you can art you can attack with even more of a plan knowing you already have the lead that's been huge from the Terps pitching so far to have that and it's been huge from the Terps offense to get those leads and it's really because the Terps have everything at the top of the lineup they have guys who can get on base and they have power as well you know, Bednar, Wright, and Vote; those are guys, and Walsey showing it too, with one swing early in that game, boom, can already make it one nothing or more for Maryland. So the bullpen, uh, let's talk about what happened in the middle innings of that game. It was 6 nothing Maryland, and then it got to 6-6 in the seventh. Uh, Sean Hine, Billy Phillips, Elliot Zollner, Sean Fisher were the ones who came in and contributed to those runs being allowed. Billy actually... Uh, came in to clean up an inning and didn't give any runs. But, you know, the rest of the guys didn't have their best days. It was some control issues. Some guys gave up hits. There were a couple home runs in there. What did you see from that part of the bullpen that allowed Maine to get back in the game? And as well as the offense, because Maryland didn't score 
between the second inning and or after the second inning until the eighth inning. Did you think the at-bats might have gotten a little bit complacent or it was just sort of a, a theme of the game? I think a lot of it had to do with Maine's best pitcher was out there next and Trevor DeLate. That definitely helped the Black Bears. He went three and two-thirds after Sam McCarthy, the starter, only recorded one out and gave up five runs in that first inning. Trevor DeLate, who, looking at this weekend, looking at the stats, he's the best pitcher Maine has at the moment. He came out, went three and two-thirds, allowed just the one run, which was that solo shot from Bednar in the second inning. He was very good to calm things down. And the Terps' bats maybe got a little complacent. On the other side, I think it hurt for the Terps that Labonte goes five, Hine comes out for that sixth inning, and the first batter he faces, Mike Sabatine, reaches on an error, throwing error from A.J. Lee, and that just kind of starts the ball rolling. You get a freshman out there, you've got a big lead, you want him to just settle down and get some outs, and his first batter he faces, he thinks he's got an out, it ends with an error. That's a tough way to go. Then the walk, the pop out, and then that three-run homer. Obviously, the ball was flying out on Sunday, and that didn't help either pitching staff, but I think... Things just started rolling a little bit after that error. And, of course, the big inning was the the sixth and then the two in the seventh as well where the Terps just couldn't really get that big final out. But there were just a couple mistakes, it seemed like, that did not help out those relievers. You probably never would have thought that in a game Maryland led 6 nothing in the second inning, it would have to use eight pitchers to win the game. But that is what uh, ended up happening. Andrew Vale, Will Glock, two true freshmen came in and got some huge outs. They combined to get four outs, struck out a couple batters. Will Glock, last Sunday and this Sunday, so VCU and then Maine, he's come in for one batter and gotten huge inning-ending strikeouts. Um, so he showed a lot to start the season. Then when the game was tied in the bottom of the eighth inning, Taylor Wright comes through with an RBI double, and then Maxwell Costas again a two-run single into left field. His massive weekend continued, so the Terps went up 9-6. John Murphy did hit a batter and give up a hit, but he struck out three in the ninth inning to pick up his second save of the year. And it was, I think, good resiliency from Maryland. I mean, you obviously don't want to blow a 6 nothing lead because in the second inning of that game, it probably seemed a lot more likely that the Terps could have won that game 20 to nothing as opposed to letting it get tied by the eighth inning. However, Maryland showed something from, you know, from a learning perspective, I guess, from last weekend when they had a big lead against Campbell, let that slip away, and couldn't really respond to that adversity. This weekend, the team did respond and won the game. Yeah, the offense flipped that switch, and it took a little longer than you'd like. You'd hope after that three-run sixth, maybe the offense gets back going, like, all right, our lead's two. We got to pile some on. But it took until the game getting tied at six. And even in that seventh inning for Maryland offensively, they got the leadoff double from Justin Vogt where he crushed a ball in that seventh. And it looked like the Terps were going to take the lead back right there. They ended up stranding runners on first and third, but still had a more productive inning without scoring. And then they got the big zero in the eighth from the pitching staff, which I think was huge. That zero in the top of the eighth inning was big because Maine had come off the one in the fifth, three in the sixth, and two in the seventh, three straight innings to tie it up. And the Terps got the big outs in the eighth inning, especially the out from Will Glock to get out of the jam. And then in the bottom of the eighth, that's when the Terps offense finally woke up again. Huge response to come back and take that lead right back. So Maryland gets its first sweep since the Rutgers series last year. They moved to 4-2 and two on the season, which is a great start, obviously, to be a couple games over 500 going into a midweek against VCU on Tuesday. And then the three-game series at Louisiana. Um, the star of the weekend 
was obviously on the mound, Hunter Parsons, and at the plate, the true freshman, Maxwell Costas. Costas becomes the first freshman to have a four RBI game. He had four RBIs on Sunday. First freshman to have a four RBI game since his older brother Marty did it four years ago, which is pretty cool stuff. And Maxwell was rewarded by being named the Big Ten Player and Freshman of the Week. First Terp to win Big Ten Player of the Week since Will Watson in the Rutgers series last year where, where he had the eight RBI game. So uh, pretty darn impressive start to the career of Maxwell Costas. As the DH in his first six collegiate games, Costas is leading the team in batting average, hitting three or excuse me, well, this one's not updated. Hold on. Let me pull up the updated stats here so we can get this for the people. But Costas with the four RBI game um, yesterday, just very impressive. He seems very comfortable at the plate. He looks a lot like his brother did as a freshman. Costas is hitting 350 with a team leading seven RBIs through six games. He's been hit by four pitches. He's walked twice and only struck out three times. So he's been... Excellent. Randy Bednar has been great as well, hitting 348 with a couple home runs and six RBIs. Taylor Wright's hitting 333. Caleb Walls had a big first weekend. Mike Panero had a big day yesterday. Ben Cowles has come up with some big hits. Chris Allen had an RBI single. A.J. Lee looks like he's starting to come around a little bit. So a lot of offensive contributors to start the season for Maryland, and that's especially good because that's not really something we could say the majority of last year. Yeah, the Terps have gotten so many big hits from so many different spots in the lineup as well, as you talked about. And having Costas come on so early is huge for the Terps because you knew you had Bednar, Wright, and Vote returning, and you hope you could get something from A.J. Lee. But other than that, a lot of question marks. Caleb Walls has the big first weekend to – kind of knock off any of those questions about, you know, can this Juco transfer be the leadoff hitter? And then Maxwell Costas, who had a good first weekend as well, comes out and has a great, great second weekend, obviously being named the Big Ten Player of the Week. But it's huge to have him. He's a big power bat in the lineup. And a guy you can put in there as the DH every single day. And hopefully at some point he can also find a position that works well for him so the Terps can even have more flexibility in the lineup. But right now he's perfect at that DH role. All he's worried about is going out there and hitting every day, and it's working out for him. So the Terps got the sweep this weekend. As we said, they moved to 4-2 and two on the season. And along with Costas and Parsons and Bednar and the guys we've talked about, one of the stars was Zach Thompson, who gave the Terps six and two-thirds and a win in the second game on Friday. And we had a chance to sit down with Zach and talk to him about his transition to College Park from starting his career at Division Three St. Mary's to becoming the Saturday starter at a Big Ten school. Joined by Terps right-handed pitcher Zach Thompson now on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Zach, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Uh, where is the excitement level for you right now on being on the podcast? Uh, I'm pretty excited. Pretty yeah. excited. <laughs> All right, so uh, you had a huge start this weekend against Maine. You went six and two-thirds in the second game of the doubleheader. What was going so well for you on that day? Uh, well, I was throwing a lot of strikes, so no walks. So that was definitely different than last week. I was getting ahead of batters and uh, staying ahead. And then in addition to that, I actually had a secondary pitch. So instead of just having my fastball working, I had a slider working. It was pretty good. 
So you went six and two-thirds that day. We're going to eliminate summer baseball for a quick sec. Yeah. Do you remember the last time you pitched that long in a game in college? I mean, it was freshman year at St. Mary's at some point. Yes. Uh, the game, I don't exactly know. It was May 17th, 2017 against York College of Pennsylvania. Okay. You remember that team at all? Yeah, I remember York. <laughs> so, so that was the last time you went that long. Um, obviously, you pitched great, led your team to a win. You guys got a sweep this weekend, moved a couple games over 500. How big was that for you guys? Yeah, that was huge. Uh, starting to get on a roll here, uh, feeling good, but still got a lot of work to do. Got VCU tomorrow and then uh, Louisiana Lafayette this weekend. Last weekend, first weekend of the season, you got the start on Saturday against yeah. Coastal Carolina. You guys didn't win the game. Maybe it didn't go the way you wanted. But just personally, you got your first career Division One start in front of 5,000 people against a team that won the national championship three years ago. What was that like for you to, you know, pitch in that environment in your first career start at Maryland? Right. Yeah, so, like, going into the game, uh, I was, like, super pumped up about it. But then I had no clue what kind of feelings I was going to have once I, like, towed the rubber because I had really never been put in that situation before. And honestly, I like wasn't that nervous. Uh, I felt like pretty prepared for the game. I uh, didn't didn't really go as as expected, uh, but I still like had a lot of fun um, and I enjoyed myself and I learned a whole lot. Um, so that kind of helped me for the next week against Maine. I know you had a couple family members there. How cool is it for you to have them? You know, pretty much at every start. I remember we uh, Taylor Smythe and I first met your dad last year at that series. He came yeah. down to watch and he was saying. Um, you know, he can't, he can't wait to hear us talking about you pitching, but he probably won't do that much because he's going to be at most games, I presume. But, uh, how cool is it for you to have your family there? Yeah, it was awesome. The Thompsons travel. So (laughs) yeah, Yeah. it was cool. They, they're awesome. They always support me. What was the moment? Like, when did you find out you were going to get that opening Saturday start? Who told you and what was your reaction when you found out? Uh, Moose told me, um, and like I said, I was I was excited, um, and I was just like kind of in compete mode as soon as he told me. I was uh, wanted to get as much preparation in as possible, and wanted to start making sure I do all the little things right. So let's go back a few years now. Um, let's go back to your high school career. You pitched at Archbishop Spalding, same school as Tyler Blom. You guys were high school teammates. Um, you know, your junior senior year of high school. What kind of looks maybe were you getting from college? What was your recruiting process like? And then what went into the decision to go to St. Mary's for your freshman year? Yeah, so my freshman and sophomore year, I like wasn't on the varsity team. So like I wasn't really getting any attention at all. And my junior year, uh, like as you know, Spalding was awesome high school team, won three championships in a row. Um, so my junior year, I only got a few innings uh, pitched because I was behind a great staff. And then my senior year, I actually got the chance to play pretty often and start often. And I did well. Um, and my senior fall, I had committed to St. Mary's. And they were really the only ones who recruited me. Um, the pitching coach there, like, came to some games. Um, but the main reason I wanted to go to St. Mary's, because at the time I wanted to, like, kind of go into pre-med, maybe see if I wanted to become a doctor. And uh, St. Mary's, like, biology program and uh, their academics was off the charts plus I had a chance to play and start as a freshman so that's where I ended up going um, they were the only one to really come after me so so then you know you decide to go there you spend the year there and you might have just answered this question talking yeah. about you know some of your future plans but was there ever a thought 
when you committed there, when you pitched so well as a senior, when you were pitching there? When did the first thoughts come into your mind of transferring to a Division One school? Yeah, so when I went to St. Mary's, I intended on staying there for four years and graduating there, maybe going, doing whatever with my life. Um, in the summer, I got a temporary spot on the Baltimore Redbirds. Um, Dave Suter was awesome enough to give me a spot on that team. And then, uh, like, kind of going into that summer, I know, like, my coaches at St. Mary's, my dad kind of told me, like, hey, man, like, if you do well in this league, uh, people might actually start, like, looking at you. And I was like, ah, well, I was kind of had my mindset on St. Mary's. And then kind of through the summer, uh, a couple people came out to me and was like, are you interested in transferring? And at that time, I wasn't so keen on, like, staying to the pre-med route anymore, okay. which was, like, a huge reason why I wanted to be at St. Mary's. So I kept my options open. And then uh, between uh, Dave Suter, uh, Mr. Bednar, AJ, and, like, some of the other guys on the Redbirds team with me, I uh, actually, like, applied – to Maryland the last day the applications were due and I got in a week before school started wow so it was kind of all last minute um but it was awesome it was worth it what was the first contact you had with the coaching staff here <laughs> so I had like started texting them a couple weeks before school and then I met them like the day or two before school started so wow. I just like kind of walked in the office and I was kind of like, yeah, like, I'm going to come here. And I don't They had, I don't think they had any clue what to expect. They only kind of heard, like, uh, he's a good kid from, like, a uh, couple people they know uh, through the Redbirds. Um, so kind of came in the fall and had to show them what I had and why I deserved to be here. So last year you obviously uh, – you made the team, but you, you had to redshirt the year based on NCAA rules. What was it like for you to have to – I know you were practicing with, with the team and pitching sim games and things like that, but – what was it like spending a year not being able to play? Was there times that you said, yeah, I, I mean, I, I could still be playing at St. Mary's. You know, I wouldn't have had to go through all the, I, you know, I transferred schools and I know how hard it is to transfer schools with credits and meeting new people and things like that. Was there ever a time that you were saying this might have been a little bit easier if I had stayed where I was? So there's, yeah, there's kind of two ways to look about it. Um, one is, that way and the other one's kind of like you can use this as an opportunity to like do better so I kind of looked at it as an opportunity so I have this year off where I can't play but I still retain all my eligibility so I can I looked at that as an opportunity so it's like another year to get stronger like when I left St. Mary's I was 155 pounds I'm 190 pounds now so I got a lot stronger in the weight room um, and I like worked on a lot of stuff pitching so I feel like I'm a completely different pitcher now than I was and then for, like, the academics part, um, Maryland's obviously a great school. And St. Mary's being a state school, too, all my tr uh, credits transferred. Oh, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's easy. Um, in, in the year that you weren't playing and you are practicing and everything like that, were there specific guys that you learned a lot from? I, I've noticed, and obviously, you know, none of us had seen you pitch before this year, but you work super quick like Hunter Parsons and, t and Taylor Bloom used to work super quick. Were those guys you just spent the year sort of learning from last year? Yeah, I would say my style is pretty similar to Hunter. Um, so, like, he dominated last year. So, I know, like, seeing that, like, that's the kind of pitching style I want to replicate. Um, get quick outs, three pitches or less, a um, lot of ground balls, um, and just go deep into games. So, you, uh, you know, you transfer here. You have this year that you're on the team. The transition for you from 
one school to another, from D3 to D1, how much did it help having people you already knew on the team, like you said, AJ and Randy, and you obviously pitched in high school with Tyler Blome. How much did that help you? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, like, when I came on the team, obviously I was new and I needed to meet a lot of new people, but I knew a good amount of people and I've heard of a good amount of people before. And so I actually ended up living with Barrett Smith at the time. So he was in the room next to me um, from Spalding. Um, Tyler, AJ, like I had known Mike Vesturia and John Ignazio, Randy um, from the Redbirds. Um, yeah, and they were all like key to me, like kind of integrating into our team. In the nearly two years you've spent here now, um, what's what have you taken from Coach Muscara maybe the most? I know it's probably a million things because he teaches all of you guys a million different things about baseball and also things off the field. And I've heard different answers from every pitcher on the staff, so I'm curious for your answer, especially somebody who kind of came in a, in a unique circumstance. Yeah, um, so obviously I've learned a lot of baseball stuff, but kind of related to baseball and life, I think, Moose helps you, like we always say, like he he's awesome at helping you realize your potential. So if you if you can dream it, if you, like you really want to do it, I think you can do it. Uh, it obviously takes a lot of sacrifice, um, and it takes a lot of little decisions to create a big outcome. Um, so just keeping me on track, making sure every little thing is uh, right, is going to help lead to, I guess good changes in the future was there a moment either last year or at the beginning of this year that you said you know okay I feel I really feel at home at this school on this team like I belong I'm a division one big 10 Saturday starter right now was there a moment that maybe it clicked for you there wasn't like a specific moment I I know like you can ask anybody I always have like a lot of confidence on me so I know as soon as I, like, as a Division three guy, my freshman year, I felt like I was good enough to play at this level. Um, but I needed to prove it. I needed an opportunity. Um, so I've always kind of had that confidence on me. Um, and it actually finally happened. <laughs> so Division three to Division one, not necessarily on the field, you know, competition, whatever, but Maybe it's it's the bus you ride on or the, or the food you get or the way you travel or, or whatever. What have been the biggest differences you've seen so far? Literally everything's different. <laughs> um, you know, I love my time at St. Mary's. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a great school. I love, love my teammates. Uh, but it's just a different world here in College Park. Uh, like for the campus, the size of the student body, like the baseball facilities, the food we get. Um, there's a lot more here to like help you, um, become a better athlete. Um, and obviously St. Mary's has its perks too, but I wouldn't trade my position. For the first weekend of the season, we obviously bust down to coastal Carolina, but now we get the first flying trip of the season coming up down to Louisiana. Uh, did you fly anywhere at St. Mary's? Did you guys have any flying trips? No, we actually never stayed anywhere overnight either. Wow. Yeah. So are you excited for this? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty excited. What was that first trip like for you um, in terms of, like, the travel and the way you guys get treated when you're on the road? Well, I had, like, no clue what to expect. So uh, I didn't know if I should expect a lot of free time or um, if there's no free time at all. So I just packed a ton of stuff in my bag. <laughs> kind of, I definitely overpacked. Um but it was good. I mean, I had done, like, long bus rides and stuff, like, playing summer ball. 
so that kind of helped. Um, but nah, it was it was a good time. Were you surprised how many times you get fed in a day? Yes, it's a lot. Yeah, and I love it. <laughs> what? Uh, so this is a conversation we all have all the time, and it's only been one trip, so it might be tough for you to judge this, but. Um, which place do you think has the best cookie? Panera's cookie was fire. Yeah, that's what we thought. Yeah. We went Panera. Um, there's one place I can't remember, but you get stuck with oatmeal raisin pretty often from that place. I don't mind oatmeal raisin. Really? Yeah, I don't I, mind it. Okay. As I, I just like cookies soft. If they're hard, then eh, it's not my, not my kind of cookie. Is chocolate chip your favorite? White chip macadamia nut. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a unique one. I'm a unique guy. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> your nickname is Juice. Yeah. Uh, Moose doesn't call you anything else. Most people don't. Uh, where did that come from? Uh, that was high school. Um, so if you guys pay attention to the walkout song, it's Your Man by Josh Turner. Uh, it kind of came out of my ability to sing that song. Okay. So I can, I can sing it. Um, I guess I got a voice like Josh Turner. I will not ask you to sing that right now, but maybe at some point yeah. uh, this year. Let we, me know. We will get that. Uh, and you talked about the weight that you've put on, good weight, not bad weight, obviously, over yeah. the last year and a half, two years. In terms of your stuff, how much has it changed since maybe high school or your freshman year? Moose said you, you have the most fastball movement of anyone he's ever coached. Is that something he taught you? Is that something you, you've always had? That's something I've always kind of had. Uh but, I mean, I did, I did uh, learn a lot from my uh, JV pitching coach, um, Coach D. Um, he kind of helped me, like, start that process of getting my ball to sink. Uh, but I have a lot of natural pronation in my arm. So, uh, it even, like, that helps a ton. Uh, Moose helped me a lot with, like, the reference points. Uh, so, my mind in high school and stuff, I'm not really sure what I was thinking on the mound, but it, it definitely wasn't like reference points. So moving through spots, uh, that really helped out my fastball command, pitching to both sides of the plate. Has your routine prior to a start had to be something you've sort of had to learn? Because at the Division three level, it's sort of a lot of like show up two hours before the game, warm up, let's go, let's take the van back. Here you have all the time you could possibly want. You can sit inside, you can sit outside, you can watch film, you can not watch film. How much have you had to learn about a routine going into starts? And obviously it's only been two of them, so you'll probably keep learning and keep changing. But, you know, how, mu how much have you put in with your routine? Yeah, I put a lot of work into it. Uh, I always, like, write out my routine uh, basically for the whole day the night before. Um, so I've kind of got it down to a T for the time. Uh, usually give myself an hour and 15 minutes before the game to start warming up my body, to play catch, throw the bullpen. Um, and at St. Mary's, I didn't really have, like, scheduled times where I needed stuff done by, but I had an idea in my head. It's like, okay, like, I here I need to be getting ready to do this. Um, so, I mean, I was still doing, like, routines then and, like, even in high school. You've had two starts, as we've said a bunch of times. You'll have your third this weekend in a what's pretty, pretty much – from all we've learned, we haven't been there, but a pretty crazy environment in Louisiana Lafayette. This is a tremendous program that's hosted a couple supers in the last few years. What have you learned from your first two starts that you want to take into this one? Get ahead, stay ahead, <laughs> and uh, that slider hopefully is going to be working because um, it makes it a lot easier when you have more than one pitch to use in a game. And 
like when batters don't respect your uh, secondary pitches, then they can just sit on your fastball. This summer, you played in the NECBL with the Mystic Schooners. You had a bunch of guys from Maryland on your team and in the league. Um, I spent some of that time in that league. You don't have to say it, but I will say it. That league stinks with the travel. I mean, the, the quality of baseball is great, and the players love it, and you do a lot of you know fun things, and everyone gets better, and they get exposed. But the travel is insane in that league. It, it ranges from Montpelier, Vermont, to Danbury, Connecticut, and I don't know if you saw this year, they're adding a team from Martha's Vineyard, which is going to make things even crazier. Yeah, I saw that. Um, what, w- what was the summer like for you? I loved the summer. Uh, so, yeah, like there were some long bus rides getting home super late. And it, uh, you know, it kind of like, do you want to do this with your life is, if that's your like goal to play professional? And like I had a fun time doing it. You got to enjoy it. Um, but, I, yeah, I had a great time. My host family was awesome. Uh, shout out Carol and Gavin. Um, <laughs> And I, I actually roomed with Grant. We shared a room over the summer, so it was good having a guy uh, from Maryland hang out with me. Did you try Mystic Pizza at all during the summer? Yeah, I did. What were your thoughts? It was good, yeah. yeah I, mean, I got a mug. You're from it, did you? Yeah. Have you seen the movie? I haven't seen the movie. So, like, I like, I have the movie. I just haven't gotten around to watch it. Okay. Maybe on the next uh, long bus trip or something, you yeah. can download it or watch it. Um, now, in Mystic, they play at... Fitch High School, which they call the Shipyard, I think, right? Yeah, something like that. Um, what was your favorite place to play at in that league? There are some cool places. Um, Newport's kind of a wild yeah. old minor league stadium where right field jets out into like the middle of the field. What was your favorite place to play at in that league? So Newport was very cool. Um, not a pitcher's park, right. <laughs> but it was it was really fun to pitch there. Actually, uh, pitched there in the last regular season game is basically a elimination game versus the Newport Gauls, so there was a lot of people there. It's uh, pretty rowdy. It was awesome uh, environment to pitch in. Um, anything where else I had a pitch? Um, I mean, I like the shipyard, too. Um, that's a big park. Yeah, that's that's way bigger. A lot of the NECBL parks are really small. There weren't too many pitchers parks. So, luckily for me, I'm more of a ground ball guy, not a fly <laughs> ball pitcher, so. Um, no, I like pitching at home. Yeah, up in Newport, I mean, you can give up a little pop-up down the right field yeah, line, and it's a, it's it's a home run, and it ruins the day for you. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so that was obviously an experience for you, and as you said, it kind of um, taught you, you know, this might be exactly what I want to do with my life. You mentioned the potential of playing professional baseball. You have the opportunity, if, if you want to, to play three years here. We asked, or I asked you earlier, when did the thought of transferring D1 happen? How quickly after that, maybe, have you had any thoughts about the potential of playing professional baseball? Yeah, like, obviously that comes up in your mind. Uh, but for me, like, I needed to prove myself here in Maryland first. So, really, I've only done that for in one game. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to give it my best effort each day uh, in practice in the games. And then if somebody calls my name eventually, then – We'll see where it takes me. You mentioned the confidence that you have. How quickly were you able to maybe feel like I'm comfortable in my own skin pitching here on a weekend or whatever as opposed to going out there and feeling like, okay, I have to prove myself and feel comfortable at the same time. I mean, there's always going to be that chip on your shoulder of wanting to prove yourself, but you obviously also have to feel comfortable and confident with yourself. Yeah, there's like a fine line. Uh, between like being confident and cocky so I've learned that over my two years here Um, 
I'm definitely comfortable in my own skin. I think anybody could tell you that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. This will be the last question I ask you here. Alrighty. I am going to read you the first paragraph of a game recap from a three-hit shutout you threw against Calvert Hall your senior year of high school. Pitcher Zach Thompson has never been considered a blue-chip recruit. The Archbishop Spalding Sr. has spent his career with the Cavaliers attempting to convince college coaches to take a chance on him. How do you feel now hearing that three years later as the Saturday starter at a Big Ten school? Should have took the chance on me. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Zach, thank you so much for your time on the podcast. Good luck this weekend. Good luck the rest of the season. And uh, it's going to be a pleasure watching you. Thanks, you. Thank you. A swing and a miss there to get him with a breaking pitch. Nine strikeouts for Zach Thompson. Our thanks to Zach Thompson for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And now, Connor, it's time to preview the upcoming week for the Terps. It starts with a Tuesday game at VCU. The Terps have already played VCU once this season, the Sunday game of the opening weekend down in Conway, South Carolina. Maryland won that game by two runs, but as we all know, midweek games are very different than weekend series games, and anything can happen. Yeah, and the other thing that makes this midweek different is, you know, who's really going to be fully and readily available for the Terps? You hope almost everyone is with the day in between, but they use so many pitchers on Sunday with very varying pitch counts for some of these guys out of the bullpen. I mean, nobody went more than an inning out of the bullpen, which I think helps, but there were some guys like Sean Hine who went a third of an inning, but he threw a lot of pitches. And there were other guys like Will Glock who threw a third of an inning, faced just one batter, got the strikeout, and, you know, he's probably good to go against VCU on Tuesday. So we'll see how the Terps work it out. Pitching-wise, obviously with it being the first midweek, you thought maybe Labonte was a candidate to start a midweek game after he didn't start the first weekend, but he gets the Sunday start this weekend. So some questions surrounding who will pitch, but you're hoping there's a lot of guys available, maybe not for long relief appearances, but in some short spurts for the Terps in that game. Over the last couple of years, midweek games have been an issue for Maryland. Last year, it certainly was. It even was the year before in a season where the Terps were 38-23 and 23 and made it to a regional. But you feel like they have more options, at least on the mound this season, because as you said, even without Labonte, a bunch of your relievers are ready. Daniel O'Connor didn't pitch this weekend. Drew Wilden didn't pitch this weekend. Nick Turnbull hasn't pitched since Friday. Those are three guys that can probably get you through seven, eight innings if they're pitching well. And I think that's a luxury that Maryland hasn't had for midweek games in a long time. Yeah, it's nice to have O'Connor not pitch. And it, it seems like Wilden's getting to that point where he's healthy enough that he could go in that midweek game as well. And as you said, having Turnbull is huge. He could be a guy who goes two innings at the back end of the bullpen in this game. And then guys I talked about, you know, Sean Fisher didn't have a great appearance but he didn't really throw that many pitches Billy Phillips didn't throw too many pitches Will Glock didn't throw too many pitches for the Terps in that Sunday game so a lot of those guys could be available as well for the Terps and having O'Connor Connor is big because he's kind of a guy who's been a candidate to start some games and he brings some length as well so that that's going to be good for the Terps to have and of course it's also good for these pitchers even though some of them are young guys who haven't faced VCU before this is a team the Terps have seen so, so much. That's what happens in a lot of these midweek games. You've seen these players and you've seen this team a lot, and it helps even more. You played them nine days before, so I think you know it could help both teams, but hopefully it helps the Terps with 
how many times they've seen the Rams. Something else we saw this weekend, and we talked about this pregame with Anthony Papio on Sunday, just the sheer volume of pitchers that Maryland has been able to use this year has changed the way that the team's ma able to manage games. Like last year, if you wanted to go to a left-on-left -left matchup, you really couldn't do that because you didn't have enough people to waste a reliever to only use one batter. This year, the Terps have so many options out of the bullpen. You know, you can make – I think Rob Vaughn had an inning where he used four pitchers this weekend, and it's no issue because they just have so many ways to turn. Essentially, right now, you have two closers in Turnbull and Murphy. You have a couple lefties you can rely on in Fisher and Vale. Will Glock has shown the ability to get a big out. Sean Hines looked at as a long reliever. Trevor Labonte pitched long relief last weekend, started this weekend. O'Connor can pitch long relief. There are just a lot of ways Maryland can turn out of the bullpen. And just by sheer quantity of pitchers, it changes the way they can manage. Yeah, it changes so much. And, again, you saw it on Sunday. I mean, a guy comes in like high and he's not effective. All right, boom, we can go to Phillips. Phillips has a solid inning or two-thirds of an inning. Elliot Zollner comes in, not super effective. Sean Fisher comes in, not super effective. You just pull guys out of there if they're not having their best day. And then he goes right from Fisher. He went lefty to lefty. He goes out to Fisher to try to get some lefties. Fisher doesn't have his best stuff. Rob Vaughn, Corey Muscari can tell. They go to another lefty that they have trusted in Andrew Vale. He comes out and gets the job done. Vale can't quite get that final out in the eighth. Let's go to another freshman who we know can come get a big out. He's already done it for us before. And you can just go to Will Glock. And they just pieced it together with so many arms. And then finally you end up in the ninth in a safe situation. And you got the sheriff out there to get himself his second save. But as you said, it's just big for this team. And in the long run, it's big because if guys are pitching a lot, you have more guys available. And game to game, it's huge because if a guy comes in and he's not effective, you don't have to look down in the bullpen and say, wow, we've only got two more guys that we can use today. we got to keep them in there. Instead, you can pull the trigger and say, all right, you're going to go get them tomorrow. You don't have it today. We've got the next guy to come in. So after VCU on Tuesday, the Terps will travel down to Louisiana to take on uh, the University of Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns, formerly known as Louisiana Lafayette, but... Uh, I guess a couple of years ago they decided they'd prefer to be called the University of Louisiana, so that is what we will go with. The Ragin' Cajuns, a really, really good college baseball program. Tony Robichaux is the eighth winningest head coach among active coaches with 1,150 in his career. It's his 25th season as the head coach of Louisiana. He's led them to 12 NCAA regional appearances, they made the College World Series back in 2000. And after two straight years in which this team missed the NCAA tournament, they are looking to turn things around this season. The prior two seasons, Louisiana hosted regionals. So that's how good this team is. And they're out of the Sun Belt. They were the preseason favorite to win the Sun Belt West Division, Coastal Carolina, the preseason favorite to win the Sun Belt East. But it hasn't been a good start to the season for Louisiana. The Raging Cajuns are 1-6, and six, and there is legitimately one reason for that, and it is their bullpen. Listen to this. Their weekend starters, Connor, in the two weekends, their, four, their three weekend starters, ERAs, 0, 0 0.82, 0 0.87. That sounds and they, good. And they are 1-6. and six. I mean, that's almost impossible to do. I mean, that's <laughs> you got to have some good starting pitching and a bullpen that you 
don't nearly trust as much as your starting pitching to have that. And it, it kind of shows that these starters are keeping these guys in this game. Their Sunday game against Sam Houston State, they did lose 9-2. to two. However, in the previous six games, they went 1-5. In those five losses, they lost by a combined seven runs. Every single game was close, and when you lose close game after close game, you don't even have to look at the ERA sometimes. Sometimes you just look at all those close games, and you know a couple of them went to extra innings and they lost the game. You just feel like, wow, the bullpen just wasn't as good as the opposing team's bullpen down the stretch, and that's been the issue for this team. Louisiana lost two of three the opening weekend at home against Texas. Lost a midweek in extra innings, 3-2 at Louisiana Tech, and then got swept this weekend at Sam Houston State. They will play at Southeastern Louisiana on Tuesday before this weekend series against Maryland. Louisiana's best pitcher, who is Gunnar Ledger, who missed all of last year but was an All-American two years ago, is their Friday night starter. He did not pitch this week, uh, just doing some resting, but... They expect him to pitch on Friday against Maryland. So maybe that's a reason they struggled a little bit this weekend. But I just want to dive a little bit deeper into these bullpen issues because they are legitimate. The opening Sunday of the season against Texas, yeah, they won that game. It was 8-2 to two in the fifth inning. Only won the game 8-6. Then it, then it got really bad this weekend against Sam Houston State in the first game of the weekend Louisiana led uh, 5-1 going into the seventh gave out three runs in the seventh three runs in the ninth and got walked off second game of the series Louisiana was up six nothing in the seventh inning give up five in the seventh three in the eighth one in the ninth get walked off nine eight final game of the series yeah they lost nine two the game was 3-2 until the eighth inning, and then they gave up six runs in the eighth inning and completely took themselves out of the ball game. I mean, these aren't just bullpen issues to start the season. This is really, really not good for Louisiana. And in theory for Maryland, it's something you can jump on, and maybe the game plan going into this weekend is work counts against the starters, get them out of the game as soon as possible, if they go five scoreless, they go five scoreless. But it seems like early in the year, this bullpen is ripe for the picking. Yeah, this this is something the Terps can attack. And, you know, that's it goes right into the plan. If you can jump on these starters like the Terps have done all season so far, you just want to get to this bullpen as soon as you can. Because as you said, the starters for this Louisiana team, very, very good. The bullpen, not so much. And the Terps want some late-inning runs against these teams. And this is going to be a tough environment to play at for Maryland. This is a good team they're going to see on the road, they've really, you know, only played the one true road game against Coastal. They'll obviously have one Tuesday against VCU as well in the midweek. But this will be a very good environment to play in for three games. And when you're late in the game, the Terps are going to have the bullpen advantage. And that's going to be huge in some games that could be pretty close this weekend. So that could favor the Terrapins, obviously, with the bullpen struggles of Louisiana. But that's something the Terps offense is going to look to jump on. And the thing to note about that is as bad as the bullpen is and as bad as the record is right now, which is 1-6, it could be 1-7 or 2-6 going into the series depending on uh, what Louisiana does against Southeastern Louisiana in the midweek on Tuesday. But Louisiana is a heck of a lot better than whatever record they go into this series with. And a series win 
for Maryland this weekend would do wonders for them in terms of the way they're looked at nationally, RPI, all those things. Because Louisiana is a very good baseball team, and they are a couple better bullpen outings away from honestly being 7-0 and right now. Yeah, if they got some good outings, I mean – really the only game and even the bullpen wasn't great there but the nine to two game obviously you know that one got away on Sunday against Sam Houston State but even that you feel like if you have a better bullpen maybe you have a chance to hold it down get some runs but those I mean the two games you got to look at is the game that opener against Texas that was a great game Friday night game you had a sold out crowd there Texas was there you had a 1-1 game they had a chance to walk it off they had the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth inning in that game and could not come through and then gave up the two in the top of the tenth and then on the road against Louisiana Tech, you go to 10 innings and you get walked off on in that game as well. The, the extra inning games really have to sting when you look at those two games, games you definitely could have won. And if you win one of those Texas games, you've got two out of three against a ranked team to start the season. That's huge. Instead, they just get the one and the tough midweek loss as well. And those things have got to sting. And at some point, you feel like this team is good enough. They've got good enough arms at the bullpen. We'll turn it around at some point, but those just really, really sting, and they got to get to you a little bit early in the season. Offensively, Louisiana is led by Hunter Castles, who has been great this year, hitting 387 in his first 31 at-bats, and their biggest power threat is redshirt senior catcher, who might have the best name in college baseball, Connor, Handsome Monica. Wow. Hans I mean, he's got a lot to live up to with that name, though. I know. You um, we're going to need updates from the ballpark. How handsome is handsome? <laughs> handsome Monica. That is quite the name. Uh, the pitching matchups for this weekend, if things go the way we expect them, Friday night, Hunter Parsons against Gunnar Ledger. It will be a true ace-on-ace -ace battle. Then on Saturday, Dalton Horton against Zach Thompson. And then Jacob Schultz will pitch Sunday for Louisiana. Um, you know, based on the way he pitched this weekend, in theory it will be Trevor Labonte again, but – I would expect we'll be hit with the old to be determined until maybe Saturday afternoon when we're finally told who will start on Sunday for Maryland. The uh, the game times for this weekend are a little bit different than usual. 6.30 on Friday, then 2 o'clock Saturday, 1 o'clock Sunday. Um, is there a time change in Louisiana? I don't think so. That's a really good question. That a, I, a, a poor knowledge of time zones on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Uh, as I look right now, there is. There, it, wow. It, it's one thirty-seven right now in Louisiana. It's 2.37 here. So uh, it'll be an hour. So uh, I should amend that. It'll be 7.30 here, 3 o'clock here, and then 2 o'clock here, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So uh, dealing with that ch time change, that's going to be uh, another hurdle for this team to deal with. Yeah, you did the math there correctly. But everyone just check the Maryland baseball website to make sure for sure we got the times right. But, yes, good good math, good on the time change. So 7.30, you know, that's a, that's a pretty late game for the Terps to be playing after they have played at 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. on the last two Fridays. Well, Nebraska played Oregon State in Arizona yesterday at 9 a.m. Mm. So pray that the Maryland never has to do that because <laughs> that sounds – Awful. Well, you could be Northwestern and Duke and play until 2 a.m. like they did on Saturday yes, night. Yes, they did. A part of a doubleheader. That also sounds terrible. Hopefully this podcast didn't sound terrible for you, though, as uh, that'll wrap things up for this episode. Tomorrow, again, the Terps take on VCU on the road. 3 o'clock first pitch, 2.30 pregame on the Maryland Baseball Network. Connor will be there. And then I will be in Louisiana this weekend. 
7.30 first pitch on Friday, 2 o'clock first pitch on Saturday. No, 3 o'clock first pitch on Saturday and 2 o'clock first pitch on Sunday. Terps and Ragin' Cajuns in the first true road weekend series of the year. Once again, thanks to Zach Thompson for joining us on this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. For my partner, Connor Newcomb, and our entire MBN staff, I'm Justin Galanti saying so long.